ladies and gentlemen. Uh, thank you for standing by and welcome to the Pinnacle Investment Management Group Limited Full Year FY 2021 Financial Results Teleconference. At this time, all participants are just in the listen-only mode. Uh, following the presentation, though, there will be some time for a question and answer session today. To ask a question, you'll just need to press star 1 on your telephone. And just please be advised that today's call is being recorded. Uh, but without further ado, I'll hand the conference over to our first speaker for today, uh, Mr. Ian McCown. Thank you, and please go ahead, Ian. Thanks, Miles. And welcome to everyone who's joined us on the call this morning. Thank you for your time. We appreciate your interest in P&I. So as you've heard, this call is to discuss our results for the 2021 financial year. We posted with the ASX last night our formal results announcement, our annual report, audited financial statements, Appendix 4D, and importantly, our investor presentation. So we'll be speaking to the presentation this morning, or rather to a few parts of it. So the colleagues with me on the call are Alan Watson, our chairman, Andrew Chambers, Executive Director with particular responsibility for institutional and international distribution, Ramzan Jarju, who leads our retail distribution function, Dan Longan, our CFO, who besides um, finance and accounting, Dan's responsible for IT, middle office, back office, offshore vehicles and operations, and a range of other major infrastructure functions. You'll hear later that we've done a lot of work enhancing our capabilities in preparation for further major expansion. So I'll simply call out our main themes and highlights of our results, and briefly elaborate a few aspects that we feel are particularly important for analysts and for shareholders. The presentation is far too detailed for us to fully cover in a call of this duration. We make it this extensive to enable people to review as much detail as they wish in their own time. And we'll, of course, go into more detail in one-on-one -on -one meetings with larger shareholders. The presentation's arranged in self-contained topic sections and is easy to navigate. We'll leave plenty of time for questions. You're welcome to direct to any of the Pinnacle representatives on the call, any questions that you have. As you can see on agenda slide three, there are sections where the relevant executive will be Andrew or Ramsen or Dan rather than me. So slide two is a disclaimer that is important and we'd ask you to read this at your leisure. Slide three is an agenda. Slide four is titled 2021 financial year themes. So this sets out our opinion of the major themes for the year. Now, we recognise and strongly believe that it's for our guests on this call, analysts and shareholders, to form their own opinions on our performance and on the outcomes that we're delivering. And we always value feedback from you, by the way, but nevertheless, people do ask us for our view, our opinion on how things are travelling. And we're happy to do this to the best of our ability and in good faith. Now, you'll see that our view 
of the themes this year is very upbeat and confident. We are indeed very proud of what has been achieved by our company this year. But we'll strive to always be objective and fully realistic and to seek to place our results in context. This year's themes are quite different from our opinion of the themes when we released our 2020 full year results. At that time, we said we felt we had delivered a solid financial outcome in the prevailing circumstances, although below expectations at the start of the year. Our profit was higher than in the previous year, but not by as much as we would have expected in the absence of the COVID crisis. So I'd like to make one particular point about the context of our very strong results for this year. Now, we are reporting extremely strong growth in profits, buoyant share markets, record funds under management inflows, and our strongest ever increase in funds under management. So we'll be saying that our status as a high-growth company remains intact. Indeed, it has been further enhanced this year. And that we've fully recovered from the virus and market challenges of FY20. But we want to make it clear that in our excitement and confidence about the future for our company, we humbly, acutely are aware of how fortunate we are. This virus has not been fair. Some have prospered, while so many have endured enormous difficulty. We are very respectful of this fact. Our company's mission is enabling better lives through investment excellence. We know that money itself cannot cure the ills of the world, but it can be an enabler of better lives. And we must all do whatever we can to help in times of adversity. And of course, none of us knows what lies ahead with certainty. So with that caveat and context, our themes for this year are as set out in slide four. A strong financial outcome and the resumption of strong growth in profitability, in funds under management and in net inflows. We've enjoyed continuing benefits from the growing diversity of our asset classes and the investment strategies of our affiliates, of the types and domicile of our clients and of our performance fee exposures. And happily, we are entering the new financial year very confidently anticipating further growth our funds under management at the start of the financial year are more than 20% ahead of the average funds under management throughout the financial year that these results relate to. We do recognise the possibility of further external adversity, but we have weathered adversity, major adversity, in 2020 and proved ourselves to be resilient. We are well prepared for and actively seeking further meaningful expansion opportunities, both organic and inorganic, in Australia and offshore. Slide five sets out the financial highlights of the 2021 
financial year. Net profit after tax of $67 million, up 108% from the 2020 financial year. Basic earnings per share of 38.2 cents, up 103%. Diluted earnings per share, 36.5 cents, up 104%. Our share of the net profit after tax from Pinnacle Affiliates was $66.4 million, up 75% from FY20. This included our share of performance fees earned by Pinnacle Affiliates after tax of $19.5 million in FY21, compared with $6.6 million in FY20. We had cash and principal investments. So principal investments are basically investments in affiliate funds of $155 million at the 30th of June. Our CBA facility was increased in order to provide dry powder for potential business investments. Additional funds are deployed, meanwhile, in liquid strategies managed by our affiliates. And we paid a fully frank final dividend of 17 cents per share, or, and we've declared that dividend. That's up 100% or double the FY20 final dividend, and it takes total dividends for the financial year to 28.7 cents, up 86% on the financial year. Now, there's one important footnote here, footnote one, so adjusting for the net return on principal investments, our NPAT is up 98% on the year. Now, that's the comparison that we focus on in assessing how much of our profit or how much our profit has grown from one year to the next. Now, for those who are interested, footnote two adjusts also for our share of performance fees. I should emphasize that we don't make that adjustment ourselves. We regard performance fees as an important component of our profit. So look, in simple terms, our profits and EPS were approximately double the previous year. Slide six shows a bit more detail on the financials. Slide seven shows the rates of growth in our net profit after tax, earnings per share and dividends over the five years since we rolled up. So since we became a pure play listed pinnacle. 63% per annum NPAT growth. 47% per annum EPS growth and 54% per annum dividend growth. So our growth has been consistently strong, except for FY20, which was the year of the COVID stock market slump, when we only grew earnings by about 5 or 6%. But as slide eight shows, we have really caught up on the slower FY20 growth and restored our high growth record. So on average, over the two-year period 
to the 30th of June 21, which encompasses the entire crisis period to date, MPAT grew just about 60% per annum over the two-year period on average. Diluted EPS, 56.7% per annum on average over the two-year period. And thumb growth was 32% per annum over the two-year period. Slide nine shows our funds under management highlights. So aggregate affiliate thumb was $89.4 billion at the 30th of June. Now, we pointed out in footnote two that Plato won an exceptionally large low fee mandate in April, which $3.9 billion. So we're effectively inviting you to exclude that. If you're using our thumbnail numbers, for example, to estimate the run rate revenue growth, Starting in FY22, you're using for that purpose. Maybe you exclude that. Or if you're looking for a kind of normalised rate of thumb growth and inflows for FY21, you might exclude that $3.9 billion. So um, this $89.4 billion was up $18.9 billion, or 27%, over the six months from December or $15 billion, or 21%, excluding that low fee mandate. Our fund was up $30.7 billion, or 52%, over the 12 months, or $26.8 billion, or 46%, excluding the Plato mandate. Now, aggregate retail fund, this is really important, retail fund, is now $20.3 billion. So we're delighted to have hit $20 billion in retail. That was up 22% from $16.7 billion a year ago. Uh, oh, sorry, six months ago in December. $16.7 billion, uh, up 22%. And up 55% from June a year ago. So the $30.7 billion increase comprised... Uh, increases due to net inflows of the 16.7 billion or 12.8 without the Plato, which is still a record by a long margin. And four and a half billion dollars of that was retail, also a record for retail by a large margin. We also got 14 billion dollar increase due to market movements and investment performance. We make the point we have an increasingly diverse client base. That's important. And our closing sum of $89.4 billion is 28% higher than the average sum through the FY21 year, or 23% higher, excluding the Plato mandate. So this gives us a strong starting base for revenue and profit growth in FY22 over, FY, over the FY21 level, or... If you prefer, it gives us a healthy buffer against any stock market or economic growth adversity that might come our way. Slide 10 shows the size of our inflows during the period. We had record inflows, as I mentioned. Total net inflows, 
16.7 billion, or in footnote one, 12.8 billion, excluding the Plato mandate, uh, 12.8 billion for the year, 7.3 billion in the second half, excluding the Plato mandate. Again, still record inflows by a large margin. And retail at four and a half billion was 1.9 billion in the first half and 2.6 billion in the second half. Hyperion, Coolabar, ResCap, Metrics, Firetrail and Solaris, all growing strongly in retail. Our institutional net inflows for the year 12.2 billion, 8.3 billion, excluding the Plato one-off, 3.6 billion in the first half, and 8.6 billion in the second half, or 4.3 billion, including that one-off. So recognising that institutional flows can be large and uncertain, we are delighted by the results for the year and the momentum with which we enter FY22. Both, in, both within Australia and offshore. I'm sure you can ask Andrew Chambers about the Insto pipeline and Ramsen about retail. Slide 11 sets out some affiliate business highlights. Slide 12, some further detail on the financials. Slides 13 and 14 provide some detail on our performance fee growth. And there's further detail on performance fees later in the presentation as well. Slide 15 outlines significant components of the pinnacle parent component of the financial results. Slide 16, balance sheet details. Slide 18 records our history of thumb growth over the years. Slide 19 is one that many shareholders look for. It shows the funds under management by affiliate. So the first row across the top shows the 30th of June 21 sum for all of our affiliates. It is very pleasing to see ResCap at $16.3 billion, Hyperion at almost $12 billion, Solaris and Plato both above $10 billion, and strong growth in other affiliates, especially Coolabar and Metrics. Slides 20, 21 and 22 show the overall continuing strong investment performance of our affiliates. 80% of strategies with a track record exceeding five years have outperformed their benchmarks over the five years to 30th of June. That's the classic measure used for medium-term performance. Five years. You can also see the long-term since inception numbers in the right-hand columns. Now, I'd like to spend just a few minutes on slide 26, and then we'll go to questions. So slide 26 is headed growth and resilience. You'll notice our focus on growth throughout the presentation. We spoke quite a lot about resilience during um, 2021 uh, and 2020. And we're delighted that our business has proved resilient to the sharp, albeit fairly short lives so far, as it turned out, FY20 market downturn. 
We retain our vigilance and preparedness to face any adversity that might come, but we're also now very focused on growth ahead. We've shown in slide seven that we managed EPS growth of 47% per annum over the five years since we rolled up. And over the past two years, EPS grew by 57% per annum. We are very focused on continuing to be a high-growth company. Our strategy in this regard is to be careful, that is, not to seek to grow by taking excessive risk and to have multiple sources of growth. So that both increases the likelihood of strong growth, irrespective of challenges in any particular market or affiliate. It also increases the size or quantum of our growth. So you'll hear us talking more, a lot more about offshore markets, offshore horizon two and three opportunities, retail expansion, further affiliates, and so on. So without spending even more time, I apologize for going on. Uh, let's go to questions, please, Miles. Uh, certainly. So, ladies and gentlemen on the phones, uh, again, if you'd like to ask a question, uh, it's just by pressing star 1 uh, on your telephone keypad and then just waiting for your name to be announced. Uh, but we do have a couple of questions in queue, though. Um, I'll first go to uh, Scott Murdoch from Morgan's. So, please ask your question, Scott. Morning, Ian. Um, well done. Great result this year. Um, just start on the, the offshore strategy. Um, clearly, uh, that's a focus. You've signalled offshore for a while now, but... Maybe can you just give us a bit of a, a bit of a picture of the, the five-year expectation? Um, obviously, distribution a massive part of the Australian business. Are you sort of thinking that you can replicate your distribution capability that you have here in you know, offshore jurisdiction? Yeah, thanks, Scott. I'll start off answering that, but then I might, might ask Andrew Chambers, who's responsible for our offshore distribution, to make a comment. So you're right that we've been signalling this for some time. Um, I'm also delighted that Adrian Whittingham, um, who built our retail capability and then handed over so successfully to Ramsam, is back full-time, um, charged with the responsibility for building and growing our offshore Pinnacle International. So that is a significant initiative that we're taking. We've started with distribution offshore and we're having a lot of success there. Uh, so that's going great. But we are signalling that we are very interested in doing, you know, the pinnacle model offshore. Uh, I can't give you a five-year forecast, of course. Um, we're telling you that we have ambition offshore. We probably would have done more by now if it wasn't for our inability to travel over there. But we think the Pinnacle model has a lot of good prospects for offshore. We're not going to be silly. We're not going to take big risks, but we think there's good opportunities offshore. Chamber, would you like to say something about distribution offshore? Yeah, so I'll just highlight that we've been quite modest to date in our investment offshore um, relative to the payoff. So if you think about our offshore business today, it represents about 10% of our total AUM as a firm. In the last 12 months, we've sourced $3 billion of our total net inflows from international investors. This was sourced from 26 countries outside of Australia. 
40% from the United States across Antipodes, ResCap and Riparian. 28% of that was from the United Kingdom across Ikea, Antipodes and ResCap. And 32% from the rest of the world across effectively six affiliated firms. Um, so very good momentum internationally. Um, and uh, we expect that to continue looking into the future. In fact, the early signs in this new financial year are pretty positive across a number of affiliates, um, unrelated to those which raised capital last year. Um, the consultant ratings are very much in place with the global consultants from a lot of our global equity, global real estate securities, global emerging market equity managers, which gives us confidence about our capacity to continue to, to um, compound that momentum we've built today. Um, we intend to continue investing in offshore distribution in terms of adding more people on the ground, both in the United Kingdom and in the Americas, uh, representing our, our efforts in the Americas from Canada through to South America, and also um, out of London for the um, Europe, Middle East and Africa region. Um, of course, we, we um, look after Japan from Australia um, with our Japanese sales team here. Okay, um, thank you. That's great detail. Thanks. Um, probably, um, probably steps into into a question on flows. You've sort of called out there um, in in the presentation that the Insto pipeline remains um, strong still. Uh, obviously, a lot came through in this in this half and in, in, in this year. Just interested in sort of the the quantum and the quality of the Insto pipeline um, as it stands now compared to say six to twelve months ago. That's also one for Andrew. Yeah, so I would say that the, the pipeline is as strong as what it's been before. The thing that I can't ever anticipate in advance is the timing of when things will actually crystallise, um, which is always the great challenge in the institutional market. But the size and quantum is the same as what it's been, and I expect it to actually increase as we continue to add more distribution professionals to the team. Um, so, But if you think about the context for where the assets were raised in the last 12 months and where I think it'll be raised in the next 12 months, um, if you look at the if you look at the last 12 months, um, 10 billion dollars of that money was sourced from public markets, in, in public market asset classes. 2.2 billion dollars in private markets. Um, 7.4 billion was sourced in domestic facing asset classes, and 4.8 billion in global asset classes. Um, I think if we look forward into the next 12 months, um, most of the growth will um, move from. Well, I think we'll, we'll retain our growth in credit based strategies given where base rates are around the world, both across Coolabar and metrics. But I think the, um, the leadership on the equity side will move from Australian equities and global real estate securities to um, Australian equities and global real estate securities to global equities and global emerging markets, um, recognising the fact that um, both uh, Resolution Capital and a number of our Australian equity managers are up against capacity limits and may be going through periods of recycling into retail. Okay, uh, again, thanks. Great detail. Um, thank you. Um, and just, I may as well ask on retail flows while I'm here. I mean, obviously, retail flows can be influenced um, sort of by, I guess, sentiment in the market, and that's been pretty positive. I guess if you attempt to strip that out, which is probably impossible, what you sort of expect in terms of is there anything under the bonnet there that can sustain this elevated retail flows that we're, that we're seeing in the last um, six months? So we'll throw this to Ramsen, but I would just make the comment. Um, so, Scott, we haven't been reliant on um, positive sentiment in the retail market for our flows. We've had some periods of pretty significant negative sentiment when the market tanked and so on. 
we're taking market share. So we're growing in retail irrespective of the sentiment of retail investors, albeit that is um, becoming quite strong and positive again. But we don't need um, total system to be growing for us to keep getting retail inflows. Our retail inflows are across quite a large number of affiliates. That's another reason that gives us such confidence. But we've also built strong momentum in a number of our affiliates in retail. But Ramsam, would you like to comment further? Um, just a quick comment. The biggest driver of success in retail is momentum in terms of flows. So once you actually get onto APLs, approved product lists, or once you get into many managed portfolios, model portfolio programs, the tap turns on and so momentum becomes a key driver of future success. And to Ian's point, we do have a good support base across many strategies in retail. So unless there's some massive market dislocations from here on in, which even in those cases we do take market share, um, there is some confidence in our retail um, future pipeline. Okay, thanks, uh, Ramson. Thanks, Ian. Um, just one last one, and then I'll, I'll, hand, uh, I'll hand it over to someone else. Um, just on Horizon 3, um, obviously acquisitions, you've got the capital base there. Just interested that capital position, would you prefer to leave that uh, as is until you are sort of able to look at something offshore, or is Australia still on the horizon in terms of um, Horizon 3 opportunities? Yeah. So it's always difficult for us to comment uh, too specifically about Horizon 3, Scott. Um, you know, we've said we're having lots of discussions and we have ambition to do some Horizon 3 and there are opportunities in Australia as well as offshore. So it's very difficult to be too specific. Um, we took on this extra CBA money to have dry powder. We love having dry powder because it creates optionality and puts you in a stronger position in negotiating um, any potential acquisitions. But we, 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 so we want to tell the market that we're actively looking. We don't want to promise something. I don't want people asking me every day, where's your acquisition? So we're trying to um, strike that balance and just signal um, that we have the wherewithal now with over $100 million of capacity there. Um, we, we have said to the Commonwealth Bank, if we deploy that with acquisitions, um, we would seek to top it up probably with equity, but it all depends on the circumstances. Okay, thanks Ian. Thanks a lot for the detail. Um, I'll pass to someone else. Okay, once again, uh, star one, if you did want to ask a question. Uh, but your next one, I'll hand to uh, Nicholas McCarrigal uh, from Baron Joey. So please ask your question, Nicholas. Thank you. Hi, team. Um, my questions probably extend on Scott's a little bit, but I know that in the past you've been hampered in terms of executing on acquisitions in global markets. Can you talk about potentially the capacity of the team to be comfortable with due diligence uh, you know, in a post-COVID world and if that's going to impede um, progress or do you feel like you've solved for that in a way? Yeah, so that's a crucial point. Um, I would say we have been impeded. So you can do a lot. And we've been working on uh, laying the groundwork 
for offshore really for a number of years. Um, you know, our chairman has a lot of offshore experience and we've been sort of laying the groundwork. So I would probably say we would have done more offshore by now. You, you can't say for certain, but, you know, the inability to travel because the way we operate, when we partner with people, we seek to get to know them very well before we partner because we put so much store on the, are these people the real deal? What's their character? So it's, you can do a lot with video conference and we have had many, many, many dozens of video conferences with people offshore who we're contemplating partnering with, either Horizon 2 or Horizon 3. But, you know, um, it's difficult to make a big move um, without meeting people. So we have been held back. Who knows what lies ahead um, with the vaccine? Um, but we're getting ready for post-COVID. Post yeah, I mean, the commentary in the presentation talks to Horizon 2 and Horizon 3 opportunities. Can you help us understand what the shape of those that are most prospective may look like. Um, and I think there's a comment about additional investment maybe through the OPEX line into more Horizon 2 opportunities and, and maybe where some of that, that option, where some of those options are, are for you at the moment. Yeah, so it's easier to do Horizon 2 than Horizon 3 uh, remotely. So Adrian's done a lot of terrific work. So we could do... Um, some of what you see, what we've always done in Australia, building a new affiliate or a new capability from scratch, um, working with talented, experienced people. So you could see us, I don't want to go forecasting things, you could see us doing Horizon 2 offshore before we're able to travel. You can get pretty comfortable on those things and it's not very risky. We're not outlaying a lot of money. Um, harder to do Horizon 3. But yes, we're looking in Australia and overseas at both Horizon 2 and 3. In terms of, um, I think, the, just turning to the pinnacle parent level, there was some really good success-based revenues and some, I guess, retail revenue sharing in the pinnacle parent. How should we think about the way that evolves into next year? You obviously made a uh, a small profit at the parent level. Um, how, how does that evolve over time? So that revenue is, it's a bit of a mixture. Um, as you mentioned, some of it is success-based. So we got something of a boost this year by, for example, very strong inflows into ResCap. Um, but quite a lot of it is um, like trailing. Quite a lot of it is a percentage of revenue, especially retail revenue or so many basis points. So that will be ongoing. So certainly our revenue in Pinnacle Parent has grown to a higher level, which is sustainable, um, at least in part. But um, we don't target to make a profit or a certain loss in Pinnacle Parent. We've always been happy to invest off our P&L in Horizon 2. And, um, you know, we could do some more of that. So can't give you a lot of visibility on it. 
it won't move enormously a little bit above or potentially somewhat below zero, you know, break even. Sure. Um, and in terms of the, I think looking through some of the operating leverage, there were some really strong margin improvements for some of the managers and probably less so for others, but potentially that's driven around investment in future capability. Can you talk through maybe the top three um, investments that have been made in the affiliates to power new strategies that have yet to sort of see material distribution success? Yeah. So um, clearly there is major operating leverage in our affiliates. That's the nature of the beast. You have to put the resources in place ahead of growth. And then once, once the fund grows and grows strongly, you know, the operating leverage kicks in very strongly. So our affiliates are a mixture of maturing ones where that operating leverage is really, really coming home to roost and investment in new strategies. So even in some of our more mature affiliates, we are investing in new strategies, which means adding some people to do new strategies. I can't think of a single one of our affiliates that isn't building new strategies. And of course that retards the profitability of the affiliate and makes it makes it, you know, less operating leverage than they otherwise would be. But um you look at a Hyperion, for example, um, they invested in global some people and now as the global fund comes in, you'll see the operating leverage just keep growing there. Um, you know all the suspects, uh, Nick. You can see which ones um, are having operating leverage kick in. Um, you know, the bigger growth Managers, well, you can see it in the thumb table who's grown the most ResCap, Hyperion, etc. Um, and newer affiliates um, haven't yet kicked in, but they will over time. You'll see, you know, Long Wave and Akia starting to kick in. Um, I expect flows into them this year. So, does that more or less? answer it yeah. for you yeah that's definitely useful i mean it's interesting to see that there's strategies being invested in that haven't seen flows for instance rescap is built out a real assets strategy but most of the flows have been into the global REITs fund which is long-standing so there's upside Correct. there which is which is good to note um maybe a question if we had time Andrew, we could go around. through sorry i was just saying if we had time we could go through all of them they're all adding extra strategies yeah. fire trail we can do that Palestine. we can do that tomorrow in our in our session Great. Um, just in, maybe a question for Andrew, and then I'll give someone else a chance. Just around metrics and Coolabar's ability to distribute their fixed income, fixed interest type products into low rate jurisdictions, and how how um, you know what what the sort of what the impedance is there. I know there's certain Australian managers have had good success distributing into Japan, for instance. But what are sort of some of the um, you know cracks in the dam wall that we need to see for that to start to be material? Yeah, so you're absolutely spot on, Nick, in terms of the low rate settings um, around the world. Um, and that's really providing a, a large conundrum for most asset owners. Um, traditional fixed income strategies, long duration uh, fixed income strategies in particular are particularly challenged. 
So all attention and focus is turning to building defence by unconventional means. And that's where areas like private credit strategies or more um, absolute return type um, public markets uh, credit strategies such as Coolabar come into the picture. Um, in terms of offshore interest, um, we're seeing quite a bit out of uh, Japan for both metrics and Coolabar, given the rate settings over there. Um, and also given the, the trade relationship between Japan and Australia, there's a lot of comfort around Australia as a destination point for, for both managing money, but also the, the, the financial um, settings here. Um, and then we're also seeing interest from other parts of the world, such as the major insurers um, in parts of continental Europe, um, given that um, they're trying to solve equally for liability matching purposes, but also the endowment of foundation market in the United States and the big Canadian funds as well, which see outsized risk-adjusted returns being earned in areas like private credit in Australia relative to the rest of the world. This is on a risk-adjusted basis, what you can earn in real estate direct lending, for example, or um, uh, LBO-sponsored debt uh, direct lending also, um, relative to what you might earn in, say, the United Kingdom or the US, is, uh, is very attractive. So it becomes much more opportunistic in nature and more targeted at particular market segments, which are either there for liability matching purposes um, uh, or, or just simply yield um, uh, enhancement as well. So um, it's, it's quite, um, quite targeted in terms of the approach. That's great. Thank you for taking the questions. I'll um, let someone else have a go. Okay, we've got another question in queue. Uh, I'll next throw to uh, Sean Lur from uh, Morningstar. So please ask your question, Sean. Hi, good morning, everyone. Um, clearly, very fast growth everywhere and um, excellent job. Now, I just want to point to a similar firm called, I think, Pacific Current. As of one point, they had about 18 boutiques in their, in their state. Um, similarly, similar to Pinnacle, grew very aggressively. Um, but eventually, uh, you know, the downfall came from making the wrong investments, many write-downs, excessive impairment. So I guess for, for Pinnacle, would you mind giving more detail on what mistakes from your peers are you trying to avoid? Um, plus, how are you going to grow uh, more sustainably, um, in a, I guess, in a risk-adjusted manner, um, especially as you look to grow overseas? Yeah, thanks, Sean. That's um, uh, exactly the right question to be asking. Um, I try hard not to compare us with others too much. Um, we say constantly um, amongst our sort of leadership team and within Pinnacle that it's all in the execution. We must never be complacent. We must always look after our existing affiliates and protect the golden goose. So um, as we grow... We will always be careful and we will always respect uh, what we already have. So we've said, you know, um, we won't take excessive risk to grow. I mean, as you can see, we're a, we're a high growth company, right? Just Horizon One on its own, doing nothing else. We're a high growth company. So we don't have to do these Horizon 2 and Horizon 3. We want to do them because our platform is strong, lends itself to this kind of growth, and we be, believe we can grow in a fairly low-risk manner. So I can't say a lot more to you, except that we are very aware of the, this, 
and we're not going to go taking silly risks. We've got something that is too valuable to go placing at risk. All right. Thank, thank, thanks for that, Ian. Um, I guess my follow-up question to that is, you know, um, I guess what are you trying to do differently to your competitors um, like Fidante? I mean, clearly, historically, you guys have grown far, uh, faster than them, but, you know, your, your, like Fidante, for example, they have recently gained some momentum, you know, winning the 2020 Distributor Award and recently took on uh, Platinum Asia's XPM uh, in a new EM boutique. Um, so I was just curious, you know, what, 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 what's your secret sauce to staying ahead, uh, both domestically and, uh, and, and, and overseas? Yeah, so we have enormous respect for Fidante. Um, we think they're one of the two best multi-affiliate managers based in Australia, and they've certainly grown extremely well with Ardea more recently and so on. So what I would say... Um, we, we don't need for Fidante to do poorly for us to do well. Um, there's a huge market out there and we can all do well. What we do, we just stay focused on excellence. We stay focused on all of our affiliates being excellent and us doing a great job for them in distribution with the quality of our infrastructure, etc. So... Um, you know, there'll always be good competitors out there. And I say to our people constantly, don't go focusing too much on the competitors. If we do a poor job, there'll always be competitors to take the business instead of us. But if we keep doing an excellent job, we will win, you know, more than our fair share of the business. Ian, it's probably worth highlighting if I can make a comment just very quickly. If you think about the context of Fedante and what they've achieved with Ardea and the, the, the billions of dollars of growth they've had in the last 12 months, at that same time, yeah, with it's, uh, credit-based strategies both across metrics and Coolabar have constituted over a third, around about a third of our total net inflows for the financial year. So we've succeeded concurrently with them. So it hasn't had to be a binary outcome. Yes. All right. Thanks for that. Um, I guess my, my final question is just in regards to uh, the, um, the dividends. Uh, the payout ratio is of 79% is slightly lower than historically. I was just curious, you know, is this um, a one-off thing or will this be somewhat be a more sustained levels moving forward? Yeah, so we still think it's a high payout ratio, Sean. Yes. Um, you know, um, we are... It's no secret we're sort of accumulating a bit of capital. Uh, we like to have this strong balance sheet. We think it gives us optionality and negotiating strength. But I would argue it's still a high payout ratio and we have stayed faithful to our discipline of paying out quite a high portion of our profits. Um, and then if we want capital, we'll go to the market and ask for it. So I guess I'd probably um, disagree a little bit with, with your statement that it's, it's low. It's, it's quite high. <laughs> All right. Thanks for that, Ian. Thanks, everyone. Okay, and we have uh, just one more question for now uh, from uh, John Hind from Wilson. So I'll throw to you, John. Oh, morning, Ian. Um, thanks for your presentation and congratulations on such a strong result. Thanks, John. Uh, perhaps if we could just touch on um, the affiliates. I noticed there was some um, consolidation 
uh, amongst one or two of them that were, were noted in uh, in the presentation. Can you perhaps explain some of the drivers there and if we can expect, I guess, where you start to look at benchmarks for um, further consolidation amongst some of the affiliates? Yeah, so um, I think we've, we've sort of um, explained that Omega and Plato were talking for quite a while about the prospects of them getting together. They are very complementary. Um, they both do great quant research and can benefit from each other's, if you call it, IP. So it did make quite a lot of sense. Um, you know, as it turns out, there was an, an extremely low fee, quite large mandate that has been lost in August, which um, it's kind of good that they are getting together, uh, given that, although it wasn't the majority of their revenue. But, um, look, we have very big ambition for quant um, within the Pinnacle Group. We think it will be a major area of active funds management going forward as we start to talk more about AI and so on. So um, we're delighted with Plato getting through $10 billion. It's a great success. And we think we'll be doing more in quant generally. So... Um, you could think of two trees also being systematic or quantitative. Um, you know, so I'm not going to uh, go um, foreshadowing anything, but it was really, it wasn't driven by a desire for us to consolidate affiliates. It was more, there, may, there was a lot of sense, a lot of logic to um, Omega and Plato getting together. So what I would... It, what I would foreshadow more than anything is major growth of quant funds management within our group. Now, that's likely to be within Plato, although not necessarily. Great. That's that's some good colour. And I guess leads to my next question around um, you, they took on a, a larger mandate um, that is obviously lower fees. How do you think about the quantitative strategies and then the quantitative, the quant affiliates and, and their fee profile going forward. Will will it adjust? Will it essentially lead to an adjustment on an average level at, at some point across the farm or the, the affiliates? Or will um, do you think the growth that you're seeing in um, the active managers like you know, Hyperion um, provide an offset? Yes. Yeah, so overall, our average fee rates have been sort of modestly floating up. I think FY21, it's about the same as FY20. Um, so we don't target a particular fee level, John. What we do is for every piece of business, uh, we negotiate with prospective clients and we get the best fee we can for that strategy. And they vary enormously. Some of our strategies have very high base fees and performance fees. Others have uh, modest fees, but they're still good business. So uh, who knows how it all works out on average. We've been, our fees have been somewhat going up because of retail. We've been growing retail a lot. Now, in FY21, as it turns out, we grew retail a lot, but we grew Insto by even more. So that affects your averages. 
Um, and offshore money tends to pay higher fees than domestic, all else being equal. So that's all helpful. But in terms of this, the quant businesses, they have a very big range. So Plato has some high fee business. So it does very well, for example, out of its um, equity income, especially in retail. So they have some quite high fee business. Then they also have some areas where, you know, that might be very large, some at low fees, but it's still very good business because it doesn't take up much capacity in those, you know, low tracking error areas. So um, they'll do that business if it makes sense. But Plato also will have some quite high fee um, pieces of business being added going forward. So it's quite a mixture. Yeah. Okay, and um, I think it's uh, briefly touched on earlier. The obviously there's a, there's a lot of leverage displayed this year, um, with revenue up 45 and EBITDA up 90. Um, is it? Are you able to perhaps, in your eyes, uh, break out the most important buckets there, and how we think about, you know, I guess those that specific leverage going forward? Uh, you know, what what can it look like in three or five years' time? Yeah, so, so thanks. So there's no question that there's a range of our affiliates there that um, are fully resourced for what they are planning to do now, uh, including new strategies. And so as their fund just keeps coming in, they keep, if you like, harvesting um, the, the capacity of their capabilities, that operating leverage is very strong. So if we had time, I could read out what, you know, eight strategies, major strategies that we're winning substantial thumb in. So that operating leverage is there. That will be ongoing. It's a, it's a permanent feature of our kind of business. But sort of offsetting that is the investment that affiliates are making, adding people and adding cost ahead of additional strategies. So that is somewhat offsetting. Um, but really, in terms of magnitude, the investments they're making tend to be pretty modest compared with the revenue they're now earning. Yeah, okay, thanks. And last one from me, just to more of a housekeeping. Um, incentives were up um, reasonably year on year. I mean, I'm assuming that's driven by um, you know some mandate wins how do we how should we uh, i guess think about that next year if you're as successful in growing fun um, as you were this year so we paid out what we think of as sort of full incentives this year um uh, you know uh, a great many of our people got the maximum that they could be eligible for and you'd expect that i'd hope given the success across the board in our company. So, um, yeah, that amount that we've paid out this year, that's kind of very full. Um, I hope that we can do the same next year and I'd be delighted to be paying out those levels of incentive because it'll mean we've had great success in distribution and, you know, across the range of our functions in our company. But last year was very restrained. Last year was the COVID year. Um, our profit grew, but not by as much as you would have expected. And it was a very restrained year. 
Uh, that's why it's increased so much this year. But I'm delighted that we've paid out as much as we did this year. It was well-deserved, and I think shareholders got very good value for it. Going forward, um, I'd be delighted if it's a similar kind of amount to this year and even floating up a bit as the number of people slowly increase. Um, great. Thanks very much, Ian. You're welcome. Uh, and with that, there's no further questions at this time. So I might just hand the conference back to you for now, Andrew. Uh, maybe for any, uh, Ian, sorry, for any concluding yeah. remarks. Look, thanks, Miles. And uh, thanks to everybody who took the time to come onto the call. Um, I think we've made the major points that we wanted to make. Uh, we're delighted with the year we've had. We're looking forward to further growth and working hard on growing in a range of ways, but in a, a, a low-risk way. Um, I guess, look, the only other point that I would make is a lot of terrific work has been undertaken within the company over the last couple of years to grow our people. Obviously, this sort of success doesn't come about by accident. You've got a lot of people working very hard to bring about this kind of success. And I'm so grateful to our people for the work they've done. If you look at Alan Watson's letter at the front of our annual report, Deb Beale's letter um, introducing our remuneration report, um, we're calling out the quality of our people and how resilient they've been and the absolute brilliant job they've done in very difficult circumstances. So I've worked hard on building succession in the company and a whole range of younger people have grown. They've continued to grow and the quality of our infrastructure capabilities under Dan, the quality of our distribution under Ramson and Andrew, um, we've done a lot of work to be ready for high quality and further growth. So we feel very good about uh, the shape that the company's in. So thanks to shareholders uh, for supporting us and for your interest in the company. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that does conclude today's conference call. Uh, once again, thank you all for participating today, uh, but you may now all disconnect. Thank you.